once a couple. But now she decided to give up on them. She'd decided to go out. The day was fine, after all. A day in the middle of a warm September, the third September after the war. She went through to the room next to this one that she used as a bedroom and began to get changed. The room was dim. Some of the window glass had been lost, and Mr. Leonard had replaced it with lino. The bed was high, with a balding candlewick bedspread, the sort of bed which turned your thoughts not pleasantly to the many people who must over the years have slept on it, made love on it, been born on it, died on it, thrashed around on it in fevers. It gave off a slightly sour scent, like the feet of worn stockings. But Kay was used to that and didn't notice. The room was nothing to her but a place in which to sleep or to lie sleepless. The walls were empty, featureless, just as they had been when she'd moved in. She'd never hung up a picture or put out books. She had no pictures or books. She didn't have much of anything. Only in one of the corners had she fixed up a length of wire, and on this, on wooden hangers, she kept her clothes. The clothes, at least, were very neat. She picked her way through them now and found a pair of nicely darned socks and some tailored slacks. She changed her shirt to a cleaner one, a shirt with a soft white collar she could leave open at the throat, as a woman might. But her shoes were men's shoes. She spent a minute polishing them up and she put silver links in her cuffs, then combed her short brown hair with brushes, making it neat with a touch of grease. People seeing her pass in the street, not looking at her closely, often mistook her for a good-looking youth. She was regularly called Young Man and even Son by elderly ladies. But if anyone gazed properly into her face, they saw at once the marks of age there saw the white threads in her hair, and in fact she would be thirty-seven on her next birthday. When she went downstairs, she stepped as carefully as she could so as not to disturb Mr. Leonard. But it was hard to be soft-footed because of the creaking and popping of the stairs. She went to the lavatory, then spent a couple of minutes in the bathroom, washing her face, brushing her teeth. Her face was lit up rather greenishly because Ivy smothered the window. The water knocked and spluttered in the pipes. The geezer had a spanner hanging beside it, for sometimes the water stuck completely, and then you had to bang the pipes about a bit to make it fire. The room beside the bathroom was Mr. Leonard's treatment room, and Kay could hear above the sound of the toothbrush in her own mouth and the splash of water in the basin his passionate monotone, as he worked on the snub-nosed man with the wasted arm. When she let herself out of the bathroom and went softly past his door, the monotone grew louder. It was like the throb of some machine. Eric, she caught, you must... How can buzz, buzz, when hum buzz, hold again? 
she stepped very stealthily down the stairs, opened the unlatched front door, and stood for a moment on the step, almost hesitating now. The whiteness of the sky made her blink. The day seemed limp suddenly, not fine so much as dried out, exhausted. She thought she could feel dust settling already on her lips, her lashes, in the corners of her eyes, but she wouldn't turn back. She had, as it were, her own brushed hair to live up to, her polished shoes, her cufflinks. She went down the steps and started to walk. She stepped like a person who knew exactly where they were going and why they were going there, though the fact was she had nothing to do and no one to visit, no one to see. Her day was a blank, like all of her days. She might have been inventing the ground she walked on laboriously with every step. She headed west through well-swept, devastated streets towards Wandsworth. No sign of Colonel Barker today, Uncle Horace, said Duncan looking up at the attic windows as he and Mr. Mundy drew closer to the house. He was rather sorry. He liked to see Mr. Leonard's lodger. He liked the bold cut of her hair, her mannish clothes, her sharp, distinguished-looking profile. He thought she might once have been a lady pilot, a sergeant in the WAF, something like that. One of those women, in other words, who charged about so happily during the war and then got left over. Colonel Barker was Mr. Mundy's name for her. He liked to see her standing there, too. At Duncan's words, he looked up and nodded, but then he put down his head again and moved on, too out of breath to speak. He and Duncan had come all the way to Lavender Hill from White City. They had to come slowly, getting buses, stopping to rest. It took almost the whole day to get here and home again afterwards. Duncan had Tuesday as his regular day off and made the hours up on a Saturday. They were very good about it at the factory where he worked. That boy's devoted to his uncle, he'd heard them say many times. They didn't know that Mr. Mundy wasn't actually his uncle. They had no idea what kind of treatment he received from Mr. Leonard. Probably they thought he went to a hospital. Duncan let them think what they liked. He led Mr. Mundy into the shadow of the crooked house. The house always looked at its most alarming, he thought, when looming over you like this. For it was the last surviving building in what had once, before the war, been a long terrace, it still had the scars on either side where it had been attached to its neighbours, the zigzag of phantom staircases and the dints of absent hearths. What held it up, Duncan couldn't imagine. He'd never quite been able to shake off the feeling as he let himself and Mr. Mundy into the hall that he'd one day close the door a shade too hard and the whole place would come tumbling down around them. So he closed the door softly, and after that the house seemed more ordinary. The hall was dim and rather hushed. 
There were hard-backed chairs set all the way around it, a coatless coat rack, and two or three pallid-looking plants. The floor was a pattern of white and black tiles, some of which had got lost, exposing the grey cement beneath. The shade of the light was a lovely rose-coloured porcelain shell, meant for a gas lamp, probably, but now fitted up with a bulb in a baker-light socket and a fraying brown flex. Duncan noticed flaws and features like this. It was one of the pleasures of life for him. The earlier they arrived at the house, the more he liked it, for that gave him time to help Mr. Mundy to a chair, and then wander quietly around the hall, looking everything over. He admired the finely turned banisters and the stair rods with their tarnished brass ends. He liked the discoloured ivory knob on a cupboard door and the paint on the skirting boards, which had been combed to look like wood. But at the back of the passage that led to the basement was a bamboo table set out with tawdry ornaments, and amongst the plaster dogs and cats, the paperweights and majolica vases, was his favourite thing of all. An old luster bowl, very beautiful, with a design of serpents and fruits. Mr. Leonard kept dusty walnuts in it, with a pair of iron nutcrackers on the top, and Duncan never approached the bowl without feeling as if in the fibres of his bones the fatal little concussion that would occur if some careless person were to take the nutcrackers up and let them slip against the china. The walnuts sat in the bowl today, just as usual, however, the layer of dust upon them woolly, undisturbed. And Duncan had time, too, to look quite closely at a couple of pictures hanging crookedly.